Hi, I'm Katya. And I'm Rin. And we're here at the Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism in Boston, Massachusetts. And on the internet, everywhere, thanks to the power of the podcast. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. Extra special woohoo today. Every time. Well, no, but bonus today. More than other times. This is the 100th woohoo. 100. Yeah. 100 woohoos. 100 <laughs> hoos. All together. Yes. This is our 100th episode, and you know, why don't we celebrate the 104th episode? Because that's two full years. That'd be pretty good. Yeah. We can do that also. We can do it also, yes. Yeah. But uh, but the 100th episode is like a, it's like a milestone in podcast land. 100. The number of fingers on 10 humans. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, what are we going to talk about today on this 100th day of... Right. Today, today we're finally just giving you all the answers. Uh, I know that this is what most people listening to this podcast want, is <laughs> uh, the answers to all of the questions about all of the herbalism so that they can know and be done and uh, think about something else. Probably there's a podcast about knitting that they've been really waiting to get into. Can you make a podcast about knitting? Yeah. I mean, know. if there is one, that would be awesome. First step is to explain all those weird little acronyms. <laughs> that they have on your knitting patterns. Yeah, no, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to give you all the answers about all the things in herbalism so that you can uh, just be done with it. That's how this works. This is Katya and Rin's Comprehensive Guide to Herbalism. That's what? The Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism's Comprehensive Guide to Herbalism. Yeah, holistically. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we better first say the thing. Uh, the thing that we have to say and also the thing that we want to say, which is we are not doctors. We're herbalists and holistic health educators. The ideas we discuss in our podcast do not constitute medical advice. No state or federal authority licenses herbalists in the United States, and these discussions are for educational purposes only. Everyone's body is different, so the things we're talking about may or may not apply directly to you, but they will give you some information to think about and some ideas to research further. We want to remind you that good health is your own personal responsibility. The final decision in considering any course of therapy, whether it's discussed on the internet or prescribed by your physician, is always yours. All right, so here we go. Here's the the definitive guide to herbalism. There isn't one. (laughs) Uh, I guess that's the end of the story. All right, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Holistic Herbalism Podcast. Until then, take... Wait a minute. Hang on. We should maybe say more about this. Well, uh, you know, we've got some uh, we've got some stuff to say. We did write some thoughts about this. Yes. Okay. There isn't a comprehensive guide. There isn't a definitive guide. There isn't a book of answers when it comes to herbalism. There's not even five books that will give you the answer. You could read five books, and that would help. But I'm sure you're going to end up with more questions yeah. than you have answers. And the thing is that. Um, I feel like a lot of people, especially people who are new to herbalism, find this a little bit, um, like, surprising. Like, maybe, I, I, th- I feel like a lot of people, especially who are new to herbalism, expect that there is somehow, like, a way. Like, one way and an answer that is right. And there is a, that, like, we, we actually get asked, what what is the comprehensive guide? What is the best comprehensive guide to herbalism? And and they're asking for, like, the title of a book. Yeah. But it doesn't exist. If you got all the books, you still wouldn't be there. 
Yeah, and this problem, it, it has a fractal pattern to it, so this is true like about the entire field of herbalism generally, and partially it's true there because that's too many topics to put into one, into one resource, right? Herbalism encompasses growing and harvesting and medicine making and formulation and... Um, you know, understanding the way the body works and the way the body can break and how to match herbs to people and how to understand the way that an individual's life and schedule <laughs> impacts their ability to work with a given herbal remedy and on and on and on. So, Well, and even, like, is it everyday herbalism? Is it preventative herbalism? Is it critical care herbalism? Is it austere care herbalism like right. the context in which you're practicing makes a big difference too yeah and so it's true to say generally that there's not one single guide because there's just too much material to cover but even within each of these topics uh there isn't a single book that i can point you at one that um i've been thinking about lately is well how about how about at least is there a good guide or a reference or a, or a database even that can tell me everything i need to know about herb drug interactions yeah, not really. Mm -mm. There are some resources that are pretty good, and there are some resources that are not so good but have improved over the years. Mm -hmm. And then there are some others that are useful but only to a limited extent because they can only tell you about one particular plant or one particular herb-drug potential interaction that's been actually tested. And then there are millions that have not. <laughs> so, I think it's also worth adding to this list that there are some that are legitimately bad. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So yeah, um, that's, a, that's a problem because if you're considering giving herbs to someone who's taking some pharmaceuticals, you would like to have the comprehensive guide to herb-drug interactions mm. and to be told that there isn't one that can be a little bit disheartening at first. But don't despair <laughs> because we do have uh, some solutions for you when you realize or when you encounter a place that there is no definitive guide to. How can you proceed carefully and thoughtfully and effectively from there forward. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I do think it's worth talking a little bit about why. Like, really some specifics about why there isn't this comprehensive thing available. Because in so many other fields, there is, like, a, a sort of legislated, whether or not it's actually legally legislated, but, like, a, I don't know, a, like, agreed-upon right method. Mm-hmm. But I think that a lot of people who are new to herbalism don't, for, for, the, for the first thing, they maybe don't realize how new this field actually is. Um, I mean, obviously, it's old. But the concept of an herb school is super new. The concept of comprehensive anything, like, that idea is actually really cutting edge um, for a couple of reasons. The, the first... Uh, I don't know, a couple of reasons that I actually am not going to number because I'm not sure how many there are here. Let's start with, here's a reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, first, like, seriously, 10 minutes ago, this was an oral tradition. You know, like, all these, like, there's been an explosion in herbal publication, which is problematic um, because not all of those books are good. There's been an explosion in herbal resources all around the the internet um and, but all of this stuff is really new and if you think about herbalism just 20 years ago and herbalism 40 years ago um and herbalism 60 years ago 
in this country, specifically in this country, um, it was drastically, drastically different. And everything that we're talking about here is definitely in the context right now of privileged class white herbalism. Because to say that this field is new, what we really mean is this field, the way that white people of a certain um, like level of privilege expect to experience it. Right. Yeah. And I think this description you were, you were starting about, like the, the contemporary version of what an herb school is, is, yeah. is kind of what we're, we're centering on right there. Yeah. 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 So because previously this was passed on by apprenticeship, but not the thing that we call herbal apprenticeship today, where you like show up someplace for one weekend a month. And yeah, a couple of years ago, we renamed our program to not use that term anymore. And it was partially because we were, we were getting more and more frustrated with the difference between a, a traditional apprenticeship situation and what we were um were able to provide and what people were able to commit to yeah, uh, in the form of a one weekend a month, you know, nine month program, um, which I'm not knocking it, you know, like we thought we did a pretty good job <laughs> when that was the model we were using. Well, and for so long, that was really the only model, right? There weren't very many herb teachers. So most people had to travel to get to where they were going um, and to get to where they were going to learn something. And you could only do that one weekend a month. It was very unusual that there was an herbalist who actually lived near you, that you could spend a significant amount of time doing an actual apprenticeship style system of learning with. Um, that just wasn't, it just wasn't available. There just weren't enough herbalists. Yeah. And that model doesn't really scale very well. You know, you can't yeah. give close personal supervision over an ongoing basis in a variety mm-hmm. of different circumstances and uh, environments to 30 people all at once. That's right. That just <laughs> doesn't work. Right. So, so, so that model isn't bad because uh, um, it is a way to transmit information. And like you said, it's a way that we also um, employed to transmit information because, because there has to be some kind of mechanism for doing that. And um, over the years, we've tried to fill in the gaps in a whole lot of different ways. And that's why ultimately we put... Um, our program online in video format because that allows all of the just sort of basic information transfer to happen on someone's own time and that way personal interaction time um, can be really directly focused on interaction instead of just transmission which we think is better but but when all this started, we didn't have the technology to do that. That right, wasn't yeah. like none of those things were available. So that nine month model or the however many month, one weekend a month model was all there was, you know, like nobody could come up with something better because because of the limitations that existed in um, the culture we live in and the number of herbalists there were and like all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it's worth knowing that there wasn't very much knowledge yet. Like really 15 and 20 years ago, this herb for that problem, like memorizing big lists of that was kind of all there was. They, the idea of clinical herbalism, the way that we practice it now is literally something that evolved in my, during my 20 years career as an herbalist. This, it didn't exist this way when I started. Um, and 
And so watching all of that develop and watching our understanding of herbalism develop and watching some people out on the forefront of that, really pushing that knowledge, um, I think that people who are just coming into herbalism today don't really realize how very not long ago at all that, that that transition really happened and how new that this field of practice, the way that we currently are practicing it, sort of in the, again, in the white privileged herbal world, or even in that case, in the, in the white herbal world in general, because mm. there are a lot of people who are using this model um, to provide service for under-resourced areas. And especially now there is a lot more focus on um, bringing in other perspectives from other backgrounds, traditions, cultures, um, but specifically those in the United States. So um, Black and African-American traditions and indigenous traditions in a way that is much less appropriative than it was throughout the previous decades. Like I, I see space being made for that now um, in a way that is much healthier than I think mm. it was in the past. Yeah. Yeah. But there, but, there was a, <laughs> there was a very prevalent uh, issue that was not being acknowledged as an issue 20 years ago um, with lots of herbalists involving like shamanic drumming to open the circle and all yeah. of this kind of kind of thing. Just um, a lot of appropriation. Yeah. And, and the problem is that that was being taught um, and, and people sometimes didn't even realize that it was appropriation. And, yeah. and so, um, yeah, that, that they're just... That was that was hard. But at any rate, this new context of the way that that herbalists are starting to work today in this in this sort of clinical model, in a holistic model, is really, really new. So you can find a teacher who can provide you with a comprehensive view of how they practice with a comprehensive view of their system of the work that they do. Um, but it is hard to find a comprehensive explanation of herbalism in the United States, in this place, in this time, because it is, it varies so much from practitioner to practitioner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, that could be very literally like, what kind of work do you do? Are you a, are you an herb grower? Are you a farmer? Are you one who, who makes remedies. Like these are all things that you could spend a long time with somebody learning all the ins and outs and exactly how they do it and what kind of measuring cups are the most useful and <laughs> like all kinds of little details like that. Um, so you can you can learn from one individual, you know, comprehensively what they do, but not everything that herbalism is. Um, and we try to be really clear and upfront with our students about this too. Like we're not particularly great when it comes to cultivation um, or even with wildcrafting, for that matter. You know, it's not a major part of the the kind of herbalism that we practice or the kind of things that we focus on. It's not that we don't like it. Oh, yeah. It's just that um, there isn't enough time to do all of the parts of all of the things. And um, so the thing that we really focus on the most is, is the clinical skills and the clinical interaction. Um, and you can't, you can't be the best grower 
if you're spending all of your time, you know, like it, 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 it's just too big. The work is too big. No one can do all of the parts um, and be really like pushing on the edge of development in all of those areas. Yeah. But you can be pushing on your own development in all those areas. <laughs> that's yeah. okay. Yeah, absolutely. And that's good to do. Uh, and so it's good to have lots of teachers. Yeah. Know? Whether it's, it's like whether it's have. whether it's like actual time in front of another human or whether it's learning from lots of different books or resources or websites or all kinds of things. Um, it, we do think that's really critical to getting a sense of what herbalism is and what it can be. Uh, because again, whether they acknowledge it or, or say it out loud or not, any herbalist that you learn from can't teach you the whole picture. They can teach you their their part of it, mm-hmm. right? Their window on it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, even even those who do have a particular kind of a practice and wanted to write down every single thing that they know about it would find that to be difficult or impossible <laughs> uh, because of time constraints and also because the book itself would just be too big and unwieldy and have so many branching paths to it. You know, you remember before the internet when we had the world book encyclopedia Mm -hmm. and it would take up like a whole bookshelf or whatever. Yeah. And uh, it was supposed to, it was basically before Wikipedia, you know. Yeah, that's where that came from. That's, that's what that, like that was supposed to be, like when you were doing your homework, you could go to those books and you were supposed to be able to look up anything that you needed to know. And there was like maybe one paragraph about it. Here is all the knowledge of the world. Yeah. Right, right, right. But distilled down to one paragraph each. And it was still like 30 books or, or whatever. Yeah. So trying to put all of the knowledge of herbalism, just North American white herbalism even, would be really impossible and then before we even like i want i I keep coming back to that because anytime i say all the knowledge of herbalism i I have to like stop myself and recognize that our corner of herbalism is so small right like all the knowledge of herbalism encompasses all the cultures of the planet and um and then beyond that we need to think about the way that animals work with herbs and the way that you know like the way that (laughs) other plants work with other plants and Uh, So all the knowledge of herbalism would be truly impossible, but even just all the knowledge of clinical, like holistic clinical herbalism, it would be so many books. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's hard to market. (laughs) It's hard to go to the publisher and say, hi, I've got a plan for a 600 volume series. I mean, you know. Yeah. And I mean, again, that's part of the reason for the for the online video program is because even even when you're transmitting it like verbally, it's still hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours. So uh, I guess that's easier to transmit than to putting it in a hundred volumes. Yeah. But, but you know, there's a part of this too that even if you wanted to write it down, you wouldn't necessarily be able to because a large part of what we try to do and, and try, to, try to teach and enable other people to, to accomplish is for herbalism to be responsive to changing environments, to changing situations, mm. and to circumstances that are unlike those that you yourself have experienced or that you have had um, had a, a history of practicing within. So what do I mean by that? Well, herbalism is not the practice of medicine. And um, one of the ways that medicine tries to be practiced <laughs> in, in <laughs> this time and in this place uh, is that it's very... Uh, logical, and there is one correct answer to every situation. 
Mm. And uh, if you are following it, then you are doing the right thing, and you can get paid as a doctor, and no one will get mad at you. Nobody will sue you. And if you don't follow it, then you can get in trouble for not following the standard of care or the standard of practice Mm -hmm. uh, for your situation. So herbalism doesn't have, uh, obviously, any kind of central board that says this is the standard approved way to practice. Mm. Um, This is the right way to work with this herb or the right herb to give for that problem. Um, Our practice is personalized and it's client-led. And this is true on a number of levels. Not just at the level of, oh, sometimes you need to give a person fennel instead of ginger because it's better for them when they have an upset stomach. Um, but at the level also of sometimes it's better to give a person a tincture blend instead of a tea because they can't actually boil hot water at home or because they don't have the time in the course of their day and their responsibilities to make tea. Um, sometimes it's the other way around and tincture is the better, um, sorry, tea is the better solution because, I don't know, they don't want to consume any alcohol or because, um... Because the herbs that you're working with are going to be best delivered that way. So there are factors here I want to I want to bring out that have to do with the plant itself, the kind of problem you're trying to solve, the person who has the problem in terms of their own constitution and their body type, um, but also their life and its demands on their time, on their energy, um, on their creativity. And when we acknowledge those things and, and calculate them as part of, you know, sorting out what we're actually going to recommend or advise or teach this person about, then we get a lot better results. But it's very hard to impossible to distill all of that down to a sort of, um, you know, branching path, if this, then that yeah. uh, kind, of a, kind of an answer book. I was thinking about how to talk about that, and what I came up with was... Um, helping a person navigate the dichotomy between what's actually healthy for humans in general and what's actually healthy healthy for this human in particular versus what our current society requires of humans in terms of paying bills and, you know, whatever other obligations humans have. Um, and that, while there is some overlap, right? Like we can look at society today and say that the majority, not all, but the majority of people in this country don't move around enough. Um, That doesn't necessarily, like, so we can make some larger statements like that. Everybody's situation is really, really different. And the things that each person needs to focus on in order to be the healthiest version of themselves and the ability that they have given the parameters of their life to focus on that thing um, is going to be drastically different from person to person. And so, um, and even the starting point might be different because we can look and say the majority of, of people in this culture are not moving enough, but some people do move all day. You know, some people yeah. are, they, they do very physically demanding jobs all day long. And now... Uh, everything's going to be turned backwards for that person. Maybe that person actually needs to rest more instead of moving more. Mm-hmm. So, so there's just we can look at some generalizations about the ways in which our current society um, co- comes into conflict with what the human body requires to be healthy. But then applying that to each person is so drastically different that there's not really a, an easy way to write down 
a, um, like a systematic approach to that. Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, for example, the way that we might advise and collaborate with somebody who has a family history of diabetes and currently is dealing with a chronic knee injury, but they're committed to a vegetarian lifestyle. All right. That could be one individual. And that would be really different than the way I would work with someone who has a family history of diabetes, but is interested in CrossFit and pursues that aggressively. And then that's also really different from someone who has a family history of diabetes and is currently coping with a lot of IBS symptoms. Mm. So in each case, there are some goals that we have in mind, and there are some that are going to overlap or or have echoes. Um, There are some that are maybe based on a sort of platonic ideal you know, uh, of things that we would like to do for anybody with a family history of diabetes and (laughs) fill in the blank. Yeah. Right? Um, But that may not be possible, right? And finding the ideal goal set for any individual isn't really going to work out, right? Everyone's life is different. The ideal set of goals for them is the one that makes them as healthy and strong and resilient as they want to be in the ways that they want to be, Mm. right? Yeah. Uh... In other words, we don't really know what our goal is as a practitioner until we know what their goals are, what their life is like, what their parameters are, what matters to them, what they value. Yeah. In order to work this way, um, because there isn't like one answer, you have to study a lot. And I mean, you just do. There's there's not a fast way to get through that. You just have to study a lot. You have to experience a lot. You have to try a bunch of things. And that's really, really important. Um, like you yourself as a practitioner have to be constantly experimenting with your own health and constantly trying different things in your own body. Not because you will be able to then know about all experiences, but because the more experiences you have, Um, the more you will be able to relate to people who have had experiences that are different than yours. Um, Because that's always going to be a factor that you will think that you have learned all of the experiences and now you're ready to consult people and someone will come in with a totally total set of experiences that you could never have imagined. And now you, you need to work with that. So the more that you try on your own, the more experiments that you do on your own, the more that you will be able to work creatively and be open to the fact that people's experiences are different than yours. Um, Be open to the fact that you have to constantly deconstruct all the assumptions that you have, all the things that you are programmed with as you grew up. And it's it's hard to remember that we grew up in a particular health model, in a particular system, in a particular set of priorities And sometimes it can be really shocking to recognize that although you've spent all this time studying um, and learning and experimenting and experiencing, sometimes you're still like being hung up by things that we were socialized with, like making sure that you do your work is like your first priority, like Mm -hmm. that you should that you should always put your energy towards productivity first, you know, or whatever, like, um, that that is the right way to live. No, sometimes resting first is the, you know, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I was on a roll there and I... (laughs) Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, okay. We know we're trying to become as much as possible that walking encyclopedia, right? We're trying to (laughs) learn as much as we can and synthesize it. 
but then to think too about how we're going to apply that knowledge or convey that knowledge to this person in front of you, this person that you're working with, this person you're trying to help, um, to apply it in a way that really works for this individual. And, you know, this is really far different from saying, oh, just find the right answer and then you're right and then everything is okay. Um, it's, a, it's, it's more involved, it's fuzzier, mm. um, and a lot of times it requires uh, you to go into the situation not with a predetermination about what's going to happen. You know, when we talk to um, students who are going into clinical practice, we emphasize really strongly that it's not helpful to come up with a protocol for an illness and then try to apply that to everybody who comes through with it. Mm. You know, in this part of the country... Um, lots of people are worried about Lyme disease, and we have a lot of clients that come around asking for herbal help um, with the symptoms or with prevention or whatever else. And so it's tempting to say, okay, I'm going to put together my Lyme protocol, and then anybody who comes along, it's going to be like, all right, you're going to take this formula for two weeks, and then that one for the next month, and you're going to have this diet, and then you're going to be free of Lyme. <laughs> and if that if that was practicable, then great. That might be something useful to start out with, right? And we sort of even have a version of things like that, you know, like, okay, we're going to remove inflammatory foods and we're going to get you more sleep and we're going to do these things that are going to correct the underlying problems that lead to the symptoms. But we don't have any herbs. But it's not, it's not a matter of, like, this is the diet that people follow. Right. right? It's like, okay, here are some principles about diet that are beneficial to a human body. How can we apply any of them? Or some mm-hmm. of them, or the best ones of them, to your case. To, like, overall strengthen your body. Yeah. But we definitely don't have any, like, these are our lime herbs that we will apply. And, like... Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I'm over here like, oh, but what about knotweed? Well, some people with Lyme disease don't get joint problems, and they don't really need knotweed, mm-hmm. right? That, that, doesn't, uh, that doesn't apply to them, because, yeah. because the name of the problem doesn't tell you everything about the problem, Right. And that's, that's one of the biggest differences in the way that we approach an issue and the way that conventional medicine does. In conventional medicine, the idea is first you diagnose, and that means you figure out exactly what is causing the problem, and you can sort it down and give it the, the official name. And then once you have the official name, the rest is you follow the, the um, set of instructions that says when somebody has this named illness, you proceed in this manner. Right. Yeah. These are the drugs we give for people who have elevated HbA1c. These are the drugs we give to people who have GERD. Right. Um, but herbalism doesn't really work that way, and so we don't have a list of herbs that we give for Lyme disease. We have uh, a we have a recognition that there are some ways that that can play out, and some things that we might expect to happen uh, if that's going on for somebody. But we don't let those cloud our vision when the person actually walks into the room? Uh, you know, a lot of times students ask, um, well, do you, do you get the intake forms ahead of time? And um, some practitioners do practice that way. They want to look at the intake form ahead of time, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I like to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I do not like to do it. Um, I don't want to know anything about a person before I see them. Uh, And the reason behind that is that what I found was if I had the intake form ahead of time, I started making judgments. I started making assumptions. I started um, thinking about herbs before I even saw the person physically and before I had spoken to the person. And I realized that it was really setting me up to have a lot of, to be like 
walking in the door with a lot of decisions already made. And for me, the way to not do that was to walk in the door knowing as little as possible about that person. I mean, obviously, I know a lot about other things, but about that person so that I could stay very focused on collaborating actively with the person that I was working with and not being like separate from that person and having some ideas all lined up ahead of time. Um, so it, that doesn't mean that if you are a practicing herbalist and you look at the intake form ahead of time, that's wrong. Um, it's just that that's the way that I found to solve the problem of, of staying super present and making sure that all of my ideas were in direct collaboration with my client. And so whatever way you solve that problem, that's that's what we're really talking about here is that every single situation needs to be in active collaboration with the person that you're working with. Um, and in order to do that, you, you, you just need to have a lot of, like study a lot of background so that then you're ready to, I don't know, it's like practicing. It's like, it's like, um, so rap is a kind of music that I, I don't listen to very much. Um, but there's one thing about it that I really love. And that is that they're like, there is a culture within rap where they improvise and and they get a topic or they get some words or whatever and they like come up with rap right there in the moment that incorporates that stuff and and that incorporates a lot of wordplay and a lot of like they're rhyming on the spot and that form of rap i just find amazing and like jaw dropping and i'm just like whoa how are they doing that and it's the same thing. It is, there's a lot of background practice. They sit and think about words words that rhyme a lot. They listen to other people rhyming words. They think about how they will put beats together and words together to create those beats. And then they're given a situation that is spontaneous and they take all the stuff that they had been practicing and they put it together. And um, I guess that's what I'm really saying. Like. I don't want this to come across as you will never be ready. You will never have studied enough. Like, that's definitely not what I want anybody to be taking from this. Right. Because there are some fundamental things that we can we can consider as close to a as a right answer for a human as possible. Yeah. <laughs> as we're ever going to get, right? Right. And there are things like uh, move more, eat real food, sleep enough, uh, manage stress or reduce the amount of stress you get exposed to drink more herbal tea, you know, like, these are things that are going to be good for basically anyone. Yeah. And uh, that's all great, and we can we can learn a lot about each of them. We can learn about what it means to move more, and how it's not just to, like, find one exercise that you can tolerate and do as much of it as possible, and pound out the miles on the pavement, but moving more includes moving more of your body, moving in different ways that challenge different muscles in your system mm. and um, have a little more complexity and depth to them. And, Mo- and maybe moving more gently if you're a person who moves heavily a lot, you know, like, like by, in terms of heavy labor or something. Yeah. It could mean move more frequently, but not necessarily more intensely. So for a lot of people, um, you know, the main problem is sedentism and 
um, not just a matter of sitting down, but of being there for long periods of time. And if we can break that up with movement breaks every half hour, or every hour through the day, then that can you know make a really big shift in your in your health. So move more. It has a lot of depth and complexity to it, and many many different ways in which that general idea can be applied to an individual case, yeah. right? Eating real food. Well, that can mean a lot of things. Um, some of them are going to be more or less universal. Um, whenever possible, we're going to try and reduce the amount of um, sugar that we're consuming. We're going to try and reduce the amount of processed and packaged and um, you know restaurantified food that we're going to be uh, consuming. And um, you know we're going to try and cook as much of our own stuff from uh, original ingredients, and that's going to make a, a good good shift in basically anyone's health. But again, within that, there are so many different um, aspects to it, right? Like, well, how important is figuring out someone's food allergies? For one person, that's the most single important thing they can do for their entire health. Mm. For somebody else, that may not be as critical, right? Um, what about, um, you know, should we be thinking about your omega-6 to omega-3 balance? Yeah, right? For some folks, that's really going to be super important because they're dealing with a cardiovascular issue or with a chronic inflammatory situation and we really need to get that nailed down but for somebody else that may not be as as important right so so again like there are some general ideas and then we just need to see which of them are going to apply in the case at hand it's sort of like um it's sort of like coming up with all of your possibilities all of the directions that you want to be moving in but then being able to apply them all in non-dogmatic, very situationally appropriate, creative ways. Um, right. And if you just had one comprehensive answer that was the, the answer, that's dogma. But if you, know, if you know some general directions that you, that you want to be working in, and then you know the general directions that the person you're working with wants to be working in. And then you get creative together about which one of those feels like the most important and the most accessible. Um, that creativity is, is really where the practice happens. Um, but in order to be creative, you, you have to have all your tools. You have to, that's where the studying comes in. Yeah. Yeah, studying and practicing and experimenting. Yeah, that's going to give you the the palette of of tools or options that are going to be useful to you when you think about which of these could help somebody else out too. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so we're not going to find a comprehensive guide in the sense of give me all the information so I can learn it and then be done with it. Uh, uh, we're thinking about like, yeah, give me all the information so that I can learn it and then think about it, and then try it, and then experiment with it, and then tweak it a little bit, and then share it with my friends and see how it plays out for them. And then I can start seeing a little bit more uh, openly how this might play out for somebody uh, somebody different. This is why in our, um, in our clinical herbalist program, one of the things that we have our students work on is, okay, you have all these ideas about diet and like, different ways that people can incorporate different foods that would really be helpful for them in different situations. But then we start giving them really difficult um, parameters like, okay, you want to help somebody do a Whole30 or an anti-inflammatory type diet, 
um, with no processed foods at all, well, that's going to be a kind of expensive transition. And now we want to do that for a person who is on food assistance. And we get our students to develop an actual plan to do that and then test it out for a month and live that way and see if it works. Like, can they afford it on the budget that they've been given? Or, um, okay, you want to, you want to, do that dietary protocol, uh, that like anti-inflammatory dietary protocol of some kind, like a Whole30, um, but it's somebody who can't cook. Like they're, for whatever reason in their life, it is just not possible for them to cook for themselves. They're too busy, they don't have a kitchen, they, whatever. And so how can you actually, um, how can you incorporate foods that might be already prepared or foods that don't need to be cooked and still maintain your goals and all different things like that um, so that we can really start to um, do those experiential exercises of great you have some ideas about where you want to go but how are you going to get there if we start to make the situation really complicated because that's real life yeah. Or like, so, mul- oh, sorry. Or like multiple kids in a family and they all have different food allergies or something. Sure. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what, we've, we, that's what we try to do in our programs. We've, we've designed them to share all of our in- experience, to share the most important information with you, um, to inspire you to build your own experiences, to give you lots of opportunities to get into conversations about those experiences with uh, peer students and with us. So you can think through all these different ways and then figure out how best to apply them in a, in a different situation. And, uh, you know, we're always around. So if you're, <laughs> if you're a student, you can reach out and we can give you some, some ideas. Well, and these are exercises that you can just, um, like if you're already a practicing herbalist and it, it didn't, it, that part wasn't included in your education at some point, uh, you can do it now. You know, like you can always start to say, okay, well, this is what I think would be healthy for someone. And then just like as a game for yourself or as a challenge, say, well, but how would I do that if the person wasn't able to do that thing for whatever reason, like invent a reason, it doesn't matter. Um, Okay, well now how, you know, or um, okay, we think it's important for people to be less sedentary and to move more, but now you're working with a person who uses a wheelchair and how are you going to, um, how are you going to work in that situation or or whatever, like not to make assumptions about anything, but to, to find where your assumptions are and then purposely as a thought exercise create a situation that breaks all those assumptions and question how would you get to um where you where you want to be in this hypothetical situation yeah so you know again for new students sometimes this can feel intimidating or a bit frustrating um but I think it is helpful to go back to what you were saying at the beginning that a lot has changed over the last couple of decades. Yeah. You know, last 30, 40 years um, here in this country, there's just been an enormous shift in uh, how herbalism is, (laughs) you know, like what herbalism is. Yeah. Um, And even in the last 20 years, it has been drastically different. 20 years ago. What's that? 1999? Yeah. Oh, man. The end of the world was coming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and the thing is that in the herbal world in 1999, most people were still memorizing multiple choice herbal herbalism, right? Like, feverfew for a headache and whatever. 
but it wasn't just the herbal world. It was also the scientific world, right? Like at that time, um, the the like science was still saying that the brain had no lymphatic structure and we haven't we hadn't figured out epigenetics yet we were mm. still mapping the genome back then and um i don't know like we had not yet started thinking about the way that inflammation impacted mental health or we really hadn't i mean we knew about probiotics after antibiotics, but we didn't understand. Sort of just barely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there was, there was, and always with this, right, there's like research science and then there's medical science and then there's like uh, popular science yeah. and then there's conventional wisdom and then there's the stuff that's actually in your grocery store. Right. And like, you know, those are all, it, it takes time for this stuff to, to move through those layers and get down to where people are like, oh yes, I've seen several different brands of microbes that I put in my body for some reason what <laughs> you know like you yeah. go back far enough and that's a that's an idea that's going to make people you know laugh you out of the room yeah. um, and I mean still 20 years ago even 10 years ago maybe even today in a lot of contexts if you go and say to somebody yeah you know I think there could be a strong connection between gut dysbiosis and depression in your case and I that, think for a lot of people that would still be shocking, even yeah. though there's been a bunch of publication about that in the scientific world, um, and even though a bunch of the herbal world is talking about that, mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people that it might not have really gotten to the mainstream yet. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like this is going to stop. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, like, we haven't learned it all yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fun to be like, ha 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 ha, how did they not know 30 years ago that there were lymphatic channels up in the brain. Well, they didn't have a technique to see them yet, you know? Like, yeah. it, it just And, like, we shouldn't say, great, now we've got that figured out. No more surprises are going to show up from human anatomy in the rest of my <laughs> lifetime. We've totally got it all done now. Yeah. No, I don't... I wouldn't buy that at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also... It's important to look back and say that um, not all of this can be done in one step. So if you... If you look back to like the 70s, which is when in this country we were really reviving herbalism, like kind of resuscitating it, um, there was so much rebuilding that we had to do. There was so much that was lost and so much that we had to rediscover. And when I say so much that was lost, I think that I mean um, in terms of systems, right? Like there were pockets of people in places, especially Appalachia really held a lot of this um, where people were still practicing and had been practicing uninterrupted. But in terms of like um, widespread practice, so much had been lost. And the, and the first step of rebuilding it was just, hey, plants, cool. <laughs> you know, and then like, ooh, what does this plant do? And then, you know, Rosemary tells stories about the herbs that they had access to back at that time and how they were all like brown and like not very good quality. You never really knew what was going on. Yeah, right? but it was like they were happy to have whatever they had. Right. And, you know, then we got to, okay, well, we're starting to make some lists of what herbs work for what things. Um, and finding, you know, better quality herb providers and yeah. convincing people to grow organic herbs on their farm and yeah. like making it to a place where that could actually be a way to feed your family and... You know, well, we're like, not quite there yet. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like yeah. so many of these things have all progressed slowly, but like in parallel. Yeah. You know, all these different aspects of what herbalism is. Yeah. 
And, you know, there's been an explosion also into rediscovering energetics. You know, if you look back through the through that first, that was first. Nobody thought of that at all. Um, And then there were there was an acknowledgement that Eastern systems had this idea of energetics. And so there was the appropriation of that to say, well, wait a minute. Um, That sounds like a good thing. That sounds like it makes a lot of sense and it's logical and maybe we should be applying that here too. Um, it's the secret decoder ring we were all looking for. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, it, it took that for a while for people to recognize, hold on a second, we actually have a system like that. We don't actually need to go borrow one that doesn't quite, you know, it fits, but it doesn't quite fit. And also it's, right. you know, like there, there was one here, but it had to be rediscovered. Um, rediscovered and then updated. Yes. um, Expanded, uh, you know, elaborated upon, applied in a very different context. Than it had been a hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think the coolest part about that line of discovery is the, the recognition that all of those systems of energetics um, are really fundamentally the same in sort of a, a really beautiful kaleidoscope kind of way because plants are plants all over the world and people are people all over the world. And um, even across cultures and across all different other things, like there's a fundamental reality about how we work, how like we all fit together in the larger community that is the world. And so of course that fundamental um, like way of working together is reflected in all of the different systems of energetics, a little bit different culture to culture, but still those fundamental like existential truths are still present. And we can, we can acknowledge those and their, the beauty of the fact that, that that is present. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. And you know, there's also been, um, and I think we're hardly unique in this, but like, you know, our whole thing is holistic herbalism and we're going to always be considering about food and movement and sleep and stress and, you know, um, thinking really deeply or really extensively about the ways that food impacts a person's health and about the way that that impacts our work as herbalists. That that was a step. That was a big transition. Um, it's something that you were kind of pushing for even at the beginning of your herbal education. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't detail. very popular. You know? Um, yeah. So, people like, didn't like that. <laughs> right. Uh, and that, too, is something that we we still consistently need to kind of educate people about. They come in and they're like, I'm here at the herbalist. They're going to give me some herbs, I imagine. Mm-hmm. And we'll do that. But we'll also spend a good amount of time talking about how you manage your stress and what's the quality of sleep you get and how can we affect that through maybe herbs, but also just through turning the lights out at the end of the day or you know, other simple things. Yeah. Um, but that, that too is a part of the practice of herbalism that in some ways has always been there and has kind of come and gone in terms of how much focus it gets, um, depending on the, the context in which someone is practicing. So, you know, um, what, a hundred years ago at the Napier's clinic in, in Glasgow, uh, they would write, a diet plan for you right on the bottle of the tincture blend that mm-hmm. was going to help to solve your problem. And it was really clear then that the diet plan and the tincture, they're going to work together. Yeah. You got to do them both. You yeah. know? 
So we kind of carry some of that spirit forward in our modern world. And we do it because we find that we get better results that way, right? And also because it helps us to be more responsive to the individual circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, one other one other thing about that is that it's an acknowledgement or, well, how do I want to say this? I feel like it's really important I want to say it right. Um, it's an... It's an acknowledgement of the power that each individual has over their own health, right? Like, if the only way to get healthy is to take this tincture that I have formulated for you, then you don't have the power in that situation. But if we're going to sit down together and talk about this is how these herbs work, and I think that that if we apply them to the situation, it's going to help you in these ways, and you say, yeah, that makes sense to me. And then we say, and here are the actions that you're going to take in your life to support the goals that we have, like the foods that you choose to eat and the way that we creatively make those foods accessible to you and the way that we have decided together which of those foods are, you know, are going to be most helpful and should be targeted first. And the way that you make decisions about sleep within the parameters that you have to deal with and all that stuff. I think that incorporating those things is not just about we get better results but is also about um makes this process tangibly in the hands of the person who wants to get healthier and not in our hands because we're somehow some magical guru that can like make everything better for you Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah, I mean, a, a whole lot of processes of evolution and taking taking things that we know or that we understand or that we think we know and you know, like pushing on them, you know, challenging them a little bit, seeing what other people think about it, um, and taking that information wherever it comes, right? So sometimes that's new information coming from a scientific study about a plant or about mm-hmm. an extraction method or whatever else. Uh, sometimes that's a new case report that an herbalist publishes on a discussion list or on a Facebook group or whatever. Um, it is possible to get good information out of Facebook. It takes work. <laughs> it takes time. <laughs> and, and discretion. <laughs> discretion, yes. But it is possible. It is there uh, because it's a place that people are talking, you know? Mm-hmm. And this is one of those things that we have access to now that really didn't have access to throughout most of human history was that you can go and you can find a discussion between 50 different herbalists in 50 different countries and you can really get a much broader idea about how people are are solving problems. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty great. Um, You know, there are great herbal discussion threads out there and and all of that. Um, And so it's it's interesting to find out how things change over time, um, including when people start to like challenge or, or assess uh, some received knowledge. You know, in herbalism, there's a problem where there can be a lot of information that is more or less copy-pasted from, mm-hmm. one, from one book to the next and then kind of sort of becomes common wisdom or, or conventional knowledge amongst herbalists anyway. Um, and sometimes it's for real, you know? A lot of times it's just because it's been done a bunch and people know it works. Okay, cool. But other times it's like, well, we've always done it this way. We thought we had a good reason at the time. Turns out maybe we don't. Maybe we should think that one through again. Or maybe it doesn't always have to be exactly that way. Yeah. yeah. And and sometimes when you question that stuff, it turns out, nope, yep, that's uh, that's a thing. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, discussions about comfrey and um, Paul Bergner and Henrietta Kress, who were very early, um, like, cutting-edge researchers and practitioners who were who were really doing a lot of this work to push um, herbalism to to grow and to improve and and so their conversations about uh, what is the story with comfrey and also they had some really good ones with vtex also mm-hmm. um, and those are archived on Henriette's website which is Henriette's herb page yeah dot com Henriettes-herb.com. Yes. Yes. I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. Or if you just Google Henriette and herb, it will come up immediately. It's, uh, it is the oldest herbal website and it is an absolute treasure of information. Um, but you know, those, those were some of the earliest examples of questioning, well, it was always done this way or Mm. because they did it this way or whatever. Um, and those kinds of questions are important. It's not insulting to just question. I mean, as long as you question politely and not rudely, but it's not insulting to question. And the reality is that actually you have to, because even if they really did always do it that way, that way still might not be appropriate for our current generation given the current parameters that we have. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about the mineral depletion that's rampant in our society today that wasn't a factor a few hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. But because our soil has become so depleted, um, we each internally are also mineral depleted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, a big part of this is that learning that something isn't exactly the way you first learned it, uh, that's not, that's not a bad situation. Um, and so, you know, if, if you hear us say something and then 20 years down the line, you get good evidence that it's not true. Good. Yeah. That's great. That's, that's important. And that's absolutely happened. There's a, a number of things that we've learned over the years that made us reassess the way we worked with a plant or the way we addressed a a health problem or whatever. Well, Um, there's even like, I mean, just mugwort for so long, I would not work with mugwort because I struggled so much with nightmares. And it wasn't until I was in a place that I felt safe to confront those nightmares that I was willing to do work with mugwort. mm -hmm. And so it isn't even always that something is necessarily wrong. Mm. It's just that my feelings about mugwort and my relationship with that plant have changed so much yeah. over the years. And just that can be. Yeah. Yeah, that will always happen. You know, it's just a matter of refinement. And sometimes that refinement happens with the coarse adjustment knob on your microscope. And sometimes <laughs> it happens with the fine adjustment knob. And both of them are really valuable and really important for different yeah. things. Yeah. Um, you know, or it's like, like I, I don't know, you have to crawl before you can walk. You have to walk before you can sprint. You have to sprint before you can sprint and do the Kong vault over the picnic table. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's, there's this progression to that, but everything that you practice opens up a world for you. You know, I think about this a lot in terms of movement. Um, you know, being able to stand on one leg is hard, but it's valuable. And if you can stand on one leg in your living room, then you can stand on one leg on a two by four and then you can elevate it and then you can, put it at an angle and then you can let it wobble a little bit and then you can carry something while you walk down it. And like each of these is, is a progression 
and it makes you more adaptable. Mm. You know, and adaptability is in a lot of in a lot of ways. Certainly for for me, I think for both of us, adaptability is like a chief virtue. You know, yeah. Um, anything we can do to increase our own adaptability and cultivate that, that's valuable because that's uh, it's it's not one thing. It's not one specific skill that has one particular way to apply it. Adaptability is like the difference between um, I can throw this uppercut that's really helpful if the person is about this height and about this far away from me, <laughs> then this is just going to get them right in that good spot and finish the thing in one moment, right? Uh, <laughs> as opposed to um, I've been working on footwork and now I can get around in a situation and I can move quickly in, in lots of different angles and... Uh, that makes you a lot more adaptable. I don't know why this has to be in a fight, but this is the, the thing that came to mind. Sparring, sparring. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think what this bottom line is, though, is that adaptable is desirable. Um, and it's flexible. And that's the opposite of rigid. And what we're really getting at is that as you learn new material... And as that material may come in conflict with things that you learned in the past or may bring more nuance to things that you learned in the past, you don't have to treat the thing that you learned first with scorn. You don't have to feel angry about the thing that you learned that now you think was maybe wrong Mm -hmm. or not applicable or small or like limited. Um, because that is what adaptability is. It's that you learn a thing, you have you learn anything to start with, and then you get more ideas about it and you build nuance around it. it but having that gratitude and appreciation and compassion for where you started and where we as an herbal community started, even when we look back at things and say, oh boy, we had that wrong, but to still have the compassion for it and the gratitude for it that we had to start somewhere and and this is a progression and when you start off sometimes it's a little graceless but you don't have to be mad because of that you know or you don't have to be scornful right you're yeah. learning that flexibility and adaptability yeah yeah, so thinking critically, thinking flexibly, that doesn't mean that we we knock down things that aren't, you know, or or tear them apart because they aren't um, we're trying to listen openly. We're, we're questioning for the purpose of understanding. Um, we're interested in new data wherever it comes from, and we're evaluating: like, is this actually relevant? And is it relevant in every case? Is it correct in all cases? Is it is it correct most of the time? Is it the right thing only in this one particular situation? Well, that actually counts for something, right? Yeah. It counts for that one particular situation. It counts for that one particular human being, right? Or maybe it's a dog, you know. <laughs> Whatever. You know what? Every answer is only right in one particular situation. Hmm. Like many situations may have overlapping components of the of an answer that works for them, but every situation is a little different and what works is going to be a there's not one thing that works and there's not a right thing that works there is a compilation of lots of things that you put together to get to where you're going and then once you get there you may realize hey now that i'm up here i can see there's another place to get to and i think i might like to do that yeah 
So that's, that's that's what we're trying to accomplish. That's how we're trying to bring all these different threads of herbalism together uh, today and make something that matches the needs of, of the people today. And again, this is work that you're going to have to keep doing because people tomorrow are going to be different from people today. Yeah. You know? And that's a good thing, too. It's really about taking everything that you've learned, taking everything that you've experienced, uh, taking everything you can think of, and weaving it all together. And sometimes you end up pulling out a section and reworking it. And that's totally fine, too. That's the job. That There's those knitting patterns again. Yes. See, it all comes together. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I think that is the fundamental reality about working with humans, is that there's not a one way. And sometimes, sometimes you get going and you look at what you've got and you're like, um, no, let's, uh, let's scrap that and start over. And that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's the job, you know, and we, we, um, we spend a lot of time thinking and talking about these kinds of, of questions, these kinds of perspectives, these ways of, uh, approaching the work that we do. Um, and if you're new to our podcast, uh, or even if you're not, thank you for listening uh, as we talk about this kind of concept for, for about an hour here. Um, <laughs> we think this is herbalism. We think this is absolutely critical to the, to the practice. It, it's really important to the way that we work and the way that we teach. We try to keep reminding ourselves of these things as frequently as possible because it's easy to forget. It's easy <laughs> to slip into thinking that you've got the, got the protocol for this illness or that you've got the solution to everybody's problem we are absolutely susceptible to that as well um so uh i think it's important every now and then that we we come to these these concept levels with herbalism this is our hundredth episode so we're indulging (laughs) in some some high level thinking for a little while yeah um it's high level but it's also really grounded you know like this is what makes us effective herbalists for more people people more different from us you know and this is also the reality that there's no like okay well you'll do these things and then you'll be done it's kind of like for our clinical um mentoring program which is the last step for students before or as they are transitioning into their own private practices um that is a like a nine-month mentorship where we review all their cases together but it also never ends like anybody who's ever taken that program is always welcome and has a standing invite to join the program at any time when they have questions because because there's never a point as an herbalist where you can say good job you're done you've learned all the things you just that's something you I can. like about it. You know, <laughs> uh, that's something that that I like about it. I think a lot of a lot of the best herbalists I know really enjoy that open endedness to it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the job, and it kind of it always has been. It, it will continue to be, and this is what we're all doing together. So uh, you're doing that too. You know, listening to us talk about these ideas, thinking about how they apply to your life and the work that you're trying to do out there. That's you doing the work. So thank you for joining us. <laughs> And yes. um, I think that's it for this week. Well, we have some some shout outs. We do have shout outs. We have some good ones this time. Yes. Let's go with that. Um, they're always good ones. I love this part. Um, so a shout out to Mackenzie from Montana, who had a question about Calamus. Yay, Calamus. Yeah. Let's shout out to Kathy, Nikki485, and Multifaceted Mama, who wrote to us in appreciation of the last episode about recognizing 
that the ability to buy enough raw local honey to make elderberry syrup for a whole family is a privilege, and yeah. uh, not everyone has that. So yeah, yeah. Thank you. Also to Oak Fairy on Instagram and Sochi, who who both also liked that episode. And um, Sochi's shared a podcast with Dolly Parton where she talks about her own mother using kerosene to disinfect a very serious wound that she received as a child. And I thought it was really <laughs> cool that that came up like concurrently. And I'm really grateful that you shared that with us. Thanks so much. If it's good enough for Dolly Parton. Then... Hey, Dolly Parton was a hero of mine. I... Like as a girl growing up in the in the seventies and eighties, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, no knocking for sure. <laughs> uh, all right, we have a super excited hi to super unadvanced Yogi, and we are both waving right now. Yes, we're waving to you, absolutely <laughs> uh, because she wrote to say that every time we say hi, I'm hi, I'm Katya. Hi. Oh wait, and I'm Rin. Yes. <laughs> then, uh, then you're out there saying hi back. Aww. Hi, hi, hi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And a shout out to Katrina, who's been listening to the pod for a while and is excited to jump into Community Herbalist. All right. Yes. And to Kayla, who is helping her sweet chihuahua with herbs. Nice. Yeah. Little chihuahuas need herbs, too. They do. Yeah. Uh, and, as always, a shout out to all of our supporters who help fund this podcast and our community projects. Y'all are awesome. We love you. Thank you. And uh, if you'd like to be a supporter and receive a new video each week of some fun herbal content that we record especially just for you, then you can head right over to commonwealthherbs.com slash supporters and sign up today. That would be really awesome because the money that we get from our supporters, first it pays for the podcast, um, and, and then we put it all into our community projects. Um, so that sponsors scholarships, that sponsors free clinics, that is going directly into work that is helping people. So we really appreciate your assistance with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening to our first 100 episodes. And I kind of want to cry. Here. Like it's been 100 episodes. The happy kind, not yeah. the sad kind. Yeah. Um, so don't worry. There's more. Um, yeah. We'll be back next, next week. week with some more <laughs> Holistic Herbalism podcasts. It'll be the 101st episode, which is also kind of cool. It's also pretty good. Yeah. yeah. We have a couple of ideas we're kicking around for that one. So yeah. we'll see what shakes out. Uh, but until then, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, drink some tea. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.